Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant. We welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. Shortly an update on the COVID situation in Kentucky and how hospitals are responding on this Labor Day weekend. Dr. Mark Daughtry from Baptist Health joins us shortly. But first, Congressman Hal Rogers is making Kentucky history as the state's longest serving member of Congress ever. He has eclipsed William Natcher's tenure, which lasted from 1953 until Natcher's death in 1994. Rogers was first elected in 1980 after emerging from a crowded Republican primary. He's never looked back, winning 21 terms. Rogers went to work on flood control projects early on, started an environmental effort called Pride, and later Operation Unite, which was an early effort to deal with the region's drug crisis. Congressman Rogers joining us this morning. Congratulations. Congratulations on your milestone. Thank you, Bill. 1980. Could yeah. you have imagined that uh, 41 years later you would still be in Congress with uh, some gas left in the tank? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it, that's a, it's amazing. I, I did not at that time anticipate anything like this. But you know, I remember you were working at the radio station mm -hmm. in Williamsburg. Right. When I ran for lieutenant governor the year before. Congress. That's right. And so this is our 40th anniversary. Oh, it is. Our friendship. <laughs> it's amazing that you remember that, and uh, <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, we all remember how Republicans and Democrats uh, used to get along better, it seems. Uh, you know, Ronald Reagan and uh, Tip O'Neill would uh, share drinks and laughs, and uh, now some seem to just jump on TV and rip each other apart and all of that. Uh, polls show Americans divided across the board on yeah. a lot of issues. Is it as tough as it seems? It is. There is very little camaraderie now compared to 40 years ago. Um, and I think the jet airplane changed all this. Uh, because before jet planes, it was fairly hard to fly to Washington. It was a long trip. So most members of Congress kept their family in Washington on weekends and the like. So. You know, there would be poker games and golf games and so forth amongst the members of Congress and their family. And so there was a, an atmosphere of, uh, of friendship that was built in, and, and it worked. Along comes the jet airplane, and people back home say, hey, we've got a meeting next Thursday night. There's going to be eight of us, and we want you there. And I say, well, it's going to be tough. Well, the, the jet airplane leaves out there at such and so. <laughs> so uh, it changed everything. Uh, your region has, uh, has faced tremendous challenges uh, then and now. Uh, over these uh, long years, many uh, remain in poverty. There are health issues. There is the drug crisis that is uh, quite a challenge. But progress has been made in a lot of areas. What are you proudest of? That's hard to answer. I, I'm, I'm proud of uh, the Pride cleanup campaign. You know, they've picked up two million tires. Uh, they've picked up like 800,000 appliances that were thrown over the hillside, refrigerators and bathtubs and so on. I'm proud of that, and, and the place is cleaner now than it ever was. Secondly, the flood projects that uh, has been my longest effort uh, where we tamed the Cumberland River with seven or eight different uh, levees and cut-throughs, tunnels, and the like. Those towns don't flood anymore. Uh, we came through this last season without a scratch. 
So I'm really proud of that, probably more than anything else, because people don't have to guard the family Bible from being flooded away. Unite it was an early uh, effort on the law enforcement side of uh, trying to, to, to get our hands around the, the drug issues in uh, eastern and southern Kentucky. It continues to be a, a tremendous uh, challenge for the region with the, the, the opioid crisis. You know what, before the, the pandemic came about, we had opioid overdose deaths going down steeply in my district. In fact, 14 of the top 20 counties in America were in my district, 14 out of 20. Uh, so we had things going in a great way. And then along comes the pandemic. And for whatever reason, it's now going up, opioid deaths. But we're on to it, and we're working it hard, uh, a variety of programs, uh, treatment, education, law enforcement uh, makes up that effort. And it's, uh, it's unique. In fact, it's now copied nationally. And, and the uh, UNITE organization here in Kentucky uh, took the pro the, the, their, their program national uh, with a national summit at which we'll have uh, two, 3,000 people there from every nook and cranny in the country with the president, head of the FBI, the Drug Enforcement Administration, and senators, governors, and so on. Uh, and that has been great because it's the only place and time in the country where all of the players in this effort of drug control are in one place. Uh, so you'll have judges hearing from nurses and governors hearing from so-and-so. So it's really a worthwhile effort and is attended by thousands of people. Congressman, this is a, it can be a very challenging job, even physically. You, you talk about the, the travel and you're in yeah. Washington part of the week and you're back home and people are requesting you to, to speak and go out and you've always uh, uh, made a point of being visible and accessible uh, uh, to people out there. What has kept you motivated uh, all these years? Well, I think people, uh, people got me in this job in the, <laughs> in the first place. Uh, and the, the, the desire on my part to serve them and to help them ease over some rough spots in their life, uh, that's satisfying. Uh, to see a drug addict uh, healed, if you will, that's satisfying. To see a formerly junked up roadside clean, uh, that's where I get my charge, that type of thing. But mainly it's serving people. Uh, that's what this job's all about. They tried to get me to run for governor twice back in the 90s. And I seriously thought about it. That's, that's a great honor, obviously. But uh, I wanted to stay with my people, the people that I sort of was born into and grew up with and served laboriously. Uh, so I, I said, no, thank you. I appreciate the honor, but I'm happy doing this for 
southern and eastern Kentucky. You are reported to have looked at the Senate at one time uh, and, and, then, uh, and then looked again to your district, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I, was, I was born and raised in rural Wayne County. I mean rural. Uh, on a gravel road at good times. <laughs> Most of the time it's mud. Uh, but I came from pretty poor surroundings, but with people uh, that's like all the people in eastern Kentucky, uh, religious, uh, loving, selfless, uh, and so on. So that's what I was born to do. You know, once in a while you have expressed uh, frustration with uh, how some things have gone, and recently you have with this uh, COVID crisis. Uh, uh, some counties in your district uh, still have about two-thirds of people unvaccinated. Uh, and uh, you, I know in a recent interview, said that you can do better than that in the in the 5th District. Uh, yeah, yes. Uh, for whatever reason, our area has had a problem with vaccinations. But I've preached that everyone, this is the cure for this killer disease. Uh, save, your, save your own life, but also save everyone else's life by not spreading that disease. So we've, we've tried our best to get people to vaccinate. You know, we, we vaccinate for measles and diphtheria and all these other diseases, polio. When I was a kid, I remember the polio thing that went on and finally they found a, a vaccine for that and people rushed to get it. And they've rushed to get uh, the other diseases uh, as children. Why they don't want to do this disease when death stares them in the face is beyond me. Are you surprised it has become so political? I mean, people seem to, to dig into political trenches over fighting this uh, disease. Yeah, yeah, I'm very surprised and disappointed. Uh, <clears throat> the U.S. recently lost 13 service members in Afghanistan as uh, President Biden withdrew troops and ended the 20 years of America involvement there. Uh, what uh, is your reaction to those developments? Sad, uh, disappointed critical, uh, we could have done better. Uh, and it was all due to the president insisting on the date of August 31st to close things down, knowing that we would not be able to bring all Americans and allies out of Afghanistan on time. Uh, that was a terrible decision, a terrible um, mismanagement. Um, and we lost some lives and likely will lose more. Uh, so uh, Count Me Down is very disappointed. Uh, other issues that are coming up right now, I know the, the, the debt ceiling uh, is a question uh, that is uh, going to come before uh, Congress and the, there are some Republicans who say they will not vote again to, to raise that. <coughs> uh, will America default on its debts? No. We can't, we can't do that. Uh, that would completely disrupt the economy. Uh, people's lives would be ruined. Uh, so we've got to find a way to raise the debt ceiling. 
to allow the American economy to continue and to grow and to hire people. You always <coughs> identified the, the, the budget as that is how you can help your district. Uh, some have said, you know, he, he's a big spender uh, as a Republican, but you always said if you could direct money to your district, that was money well spent from your standpoint. Well, that's true. Um, the, the, the monies I've been able to earmark have been for flood projects to keep people's homes intact, businesses. Um, and every one of those dollars would have been spent otherwise, uh, but for this. So uh, it's been a pleasure seeing a uh, river held in its banks or to pick up trash that's littering the countryside or to stop a drug deal, an overdose death, if, if you will. So all of those things that I've earmarked monies for were, have been worthy projects that were later copied by other members of Congress. You're making it clear you are running for re-election in 2022, right? Well, yeah. If, Ready to go? If the people will let me do it, it's, uh, it's up to the people to uh, decide who they want as their congressman. And I would love to have the job again for two years, and uh, so I'll have my name on the ballot. Retirement's not in your plan, at least now. What's that word? <laughs> That's what I thought you'd say. <laughs> Congratulations on uh, this milestone, Congressman. Thank you for coming by. Thank you, Bill. We do appreciate it. And we hope you'll stay with us here on WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. So good to have you here. The COVID numbers are bad by almost every measure right now. The positivity rate, hospitalizations, the number of people in the ICU and on ventilators, it is a tough situation. How are hospitals managing it? Are there signs of light at the end of a dark tunnel? Dr. Mark Darty is an infectious disease specialist with Baptist Health and after decades of practice, his patient reviews are top notch. Now he's on the front lines in this COVID pandemic. Dr. Doctor, thanks uh, for joining us again. We really do appreciate it. Thank you. As we head into Labor Day weekend, uh, some hospitals are to the point of putting up tents to deal with the, the overflow of patients. I know you have a, a large uh, population census uh, right now at the hospital uh, here in Lexington. What are our Kentucky hospitals and, and healthcare system facing uh, with these staggering numbers? It's been extremely difficult. We're having to look at it each day and see what our resources are. You know when. Uh, we went from uh, the 4th of July where we had three patients in the hospital with COVID, no one in the ICU, uh, to today we have more than we've ever had in the entire pandemic. It's around 100. Uh, and we have uh, uh, in the mid-20s in the ICU, although that's a little bit misleading because all of our ICU beds are full. So our COVID beds have uh, essentially been uh, changed into quasi-ICUs. We have patients on, on the COVID units um, that uh, you know would be in the ICU if we had the ICU beds, but we just don't have the beds right now. Uh, we're struggling trying to figure out where to put all the patients. Uh, we've had to uh, uh, decline uh, transfers from other hospitals, including uh, COVID and non-COVID patients. Um, 
And of course, we're very concerned about that, you know, affecting the quality of care. Since we're a tertiary referral hospital, we want to be available to take people in with strokes and, and heart attacks and all kinds of other ailments. Uh, we're still able to do that to some extent, but we have to be very selective in terms of the patients that we uh, accept and transfer. We basically uh, shut off all surgery except the elective surgery, I mean, except the emergency surgery. Uh, the, uh, uh, it's uh, problematic for us in uh, treating uh, ill surgical patients uh, that might need to be admitted to the hospital. So we have some of those patients are having to stay in the recovery room uh, for their ICU care because we don't have any ICU beds to take care of them. Uh, it's gotten to the point that uh, we're requesting uh, that the state send some National Guard here. They have to multiple other hospitals uh, in the state and uh, we're at that point right now too. Did, doctor, did you ever imagine in your career that you would see the specter of needing the, the National Guard to help uh, run a hospital operation or uh, tents set up uh, for uh, overflow of patients? Uh, no, we, you know, we did do pandemic preparation, you know, back in the first uh, uh, SARS uh, we looked at how we were going to build our hospital up and uh, fit it up, and uh, we had multiple negative pressure beds, uh, multiple negative pressure rooms put in. We have whole units that are negative pressure. And I think we had more negative pressure rooms than any other hospital in the state, and yet even here we're running out of those types of rooms. So uh, we can take care of about uh, 90 or so people in negative pressure rooms here. Uh, and, and now we uh, have more than that, so we're having to switch over in some cases, I think right now to using air scrubbers instead, which I don't mm -hmm. uh, prefer. So we tried to imagine what would happen if we had a pandemic, how bad it would uh, get. And it's, uh, you know, this is worse than we had had, uh, had thought it would be. You told us before the Delta variant is highly, highly transmissible, uh, but people who are vaccinated are usually not the ones who are ending up in hospitals. And if they do, they're not the ones usually with the tough complications. Uh, that's correct. If you look at, uh, you know, we, we took a look at our own data in the Baptist system, and this was uh, as of late last week on the 26th, uh, we had 18% uh, of our patients who were admitted for COVID in the hospital were vaccinated. Now, that's a higher number uh, than has been reported in some places. I think some of that data that you're seeing come out of other places is, is older data and maybe before uh, some of the uh, surge in Delta, but uh, we're seeing 18% of our patients are vaccinated in the hospital, uh, but only 8% in the ICU are vaccinated patients. And then if you further look at who's requiring ventilatory support, it's only 4% of the COVID patients are vaccinated. So it clearly helps people uh, pre uh, prevent people from becoming overwhelmingly ill, need ventilatory support or die. Uh, and that's really the main thing we're concerned about. We don't want really anyone admitted to the hospital with uh, uh, with COVID, but we're primarily concerned about the people that are critically ill. Dr. Darty, the uh, vaccines take a little while to build immunity. How often do you see this, uh, this heartbreaking situation uh, where people are coming in uh, to the hospital uh, in desperate need of care uh, and they ask you for a vaccine then? You know, that's not uncommon. I mean, people, we, you know, come in sick and, and just uh, haven't realized how bad it can be. And they're gasping for breath and they say, well, I was afraid of the vaccine. I didn't know what was in it. I got, I, I think I made a mistake. I got misinformation. Can you please give me a vaccine? Uh, well, it takes six weeks or so for the vaccine to kick in. It takes that long for the immunity to kick in. And, and, and you know, that's just too late. You've got to take it before that. 
Uh, in addition, you know, the vaccines don't tend to work as well when you're ill. You don't get as good an immune response. So we don't want to put someone on a vaccine, give them uh, their first dose of a vaccine while they're on steroids or other medications to treat COVID. So we have to wait until people are recovered from that, that acute illness. We are seeing uh, larger numbers of young people getting COVID. Uh, we have about 30 school systems that have uh, had to close uh, to in-person classes because of the, the high numbers. Uh, is it feasible that, that schools can operate uh, normally in this situation or uh, does something have to give uh, with the way we're doing things? Well, you know, uh, I'm, I'm trying to sort out what's going to happen to us over over the next few weeks right. here. We've had this massive surge. It, we're really going to have trouble uh, handling much more than we have right now. And I'm concerned about the dynamics uh, of uh, what's going to happen with the schools uh, with Delta. We know that it's much more transmissible. M more, many more kids are becoming ill with it. They're not getting, you know, particularly, uh, most of them aren't getting particularly ill, although, you know, we don't have that many beds in the state for, for children. Uh, so that, that could be, uh, I think it, it could be, and it is a problem for the children's hospitals in terms of getting too many ill uh, uh, children with COVID uh, having to be admitted. But the dynamic that we're seeing is that the kids are going to school, they're getting COVID at school, and they're bringing it home. And because of the transmissibility of uh, the Delta variant, basically everyone at home is getting it, every family member uh, that's in contact with the uh, child. Uh, and of course, children under 12 can't be vaccinated right now. So I think we're gonna see more and more children infected, bringing it home and get higher and higher numbers. And I'm concerned that that's really going to add fuel to the fire. On the other hand, you know, I don't, we can't really go another year with only remote learning. I mean, it's not good for the children. Uh, some children fare okay with that. Others uh, really struggle, and I think I think most of them struggle with it. Uh, so I think the we're going to have to figure out a way to to operate and try to tamp things down. I do think that children should be wearing masks at school. Uh, uh, children two and above, most of them. Uh, can learn how to be compliant with wearing the masks. I think they, they need to operate in pods at schools. We don't need to be mixing large numbers of classes, having them switch classrooms and, and uh, come into contact with multiple other students every hour. Uh, so I think as much as possible, the schools need to be operating in pods. Everyone who's vaccinated should get vaccinated, including all teachers, janitorial staff, administrators. We need to have as many people vaccinated as possible so that we can keep the schools open. You know, if we don't follow those kind of, uh, we don't make those kind of efforts, the schools won't stay open. I mean, I'm very, very concerned about what's going on in, in Florida, for instance, uh, where the, the governor is uh, saying there can't be mass mandates in school. I think that's a, a gargantuan mistake, and that's asking for the schools to be shut down and uh, larger numbers of uh, COVID patients coming in. Have you been frustrated and, 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 and confused as to how this uh, response to a pandemic, an illness, became a, a, such a, a political thing uh, across uh, America and, and our state? It's frankly just flabbergasting. I mean, I can't... Uh, I really can't fathom it. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, I, I don't know if I should be, re, you know, revealing my own political leadings, but I'm, I'm basically, uh, con, you know, relatively conservative, uh, at least physically and, uh, and, uh, and generally uh, a Republican. But uh, I just don't understand why this whole thing has become so politicized. And, uh, you know, you, so basically if you're, you know, uh, conservative, you can't believe in the vaccine and can't take the vaccine because you know because 
these are what patients are telling me because it's a Biden vaccine. Now, that's obviously patently not true. Uh, it was developed under the Trump administration, but somehow it's been twisted into uh, a political argument and, and people are staking their lives and their families' lives based on, uh, on false political beliefs. And uh, that's, that's ending up to be a huge mistake for them. Well, we'll leave it there. Uh, thank you very much uh, for uh, the information. We know it's a uh, tough. To, let, let me just ask this one, uh, one last question, Doctor. Do you see some light at the end of the tunnel? Well, you know, if you look at predictions from the Institute for Healthcare Metrics, they're indicating that we're at our uh, peak right now, or in the next couple of days, and then that things are going to rapidly settle down. I'm not totally sure if that's going to happen because we, you know, we're heading into viral uh, respiratory season in the fall, um, where we typically see surges, and I'm very concerned about what's going to happen uh, with schools adding fuel to the fire here. So I'm, I'm not really uh, certain what's going to happen. Plus, to be frank, I'm, I'm a little. Uh, leery about saying we have light at the end of the tunnel because all everyone, including healthcare workers, felt like last December when the vaccines came out, oh, there's light at the end of the tunnel. We're going to get, we just have to get through this massive surge. And guess what? Now, at least here in Kentucky, our surge is bigger than it was last December when we thought we were seeing light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, at some point, we're going to have enough people vaccinated and enough people that have gotten in the population that have gotten infected that things will settle down. So I do think things will ultimately settle down some, but then we're going to have other variants that we have to deal with. So really, uh, we just need to have everyone possible get vaccinated to protect themselves, protect their loved ones, and protect the community. Dr. Mark Darty, thank you so much. We appreciate your time. Stay with us. We'll be back on Kentucky Newsmakers. Something new coming up on WKYT starting Tuesday. Everyday Kentucky will be airing live at 9 o'clock. Uh, that'll be with uh, Andrea Walker and Jim Caldwell and some others. It should be interesting each day, kind of a, a look at some of the lifestyle happenings in the Lexington Bluegrass area. So that is Everyday Kentucky, every day at 9 a.m. weekdays on WKYT starting Tuesday. Certainly hope you have a nice Labor Day weekend and a good week ahead. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Kentucky Newsmakers.